Now I have a guest on the line today. We are joined um, by Stu Wararahi McDonald, a senior tamoko artist from Tauranga, who is speaking at the DPAG tomorrow um, between the hours of 3 and 4 p.m. Hello, Stu. Can you hear me? Kia ora. Oh, kia ora. Welcome onto the show and thank you for having a chat with me today. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. No, that's all good. Um, I heard you're working today. How's that going? Uh, just yeah, just recently landed about 25 minutes ago yeah, and straight onto the machine, so they're not mucking around. <laughs> oh my god. Where do you usually work, by the way? Uh, just back in Tauranga. I was born and raised in Tauranga and yeah, been running my taumoko business out of there for the last 20 years sort of thing now. Oh my goodness, 20 years. Um, to go back in time a wee bit, could you explain the tradition of tamoko for anyone who's listening who doesn't quite understand? Oh, it's probably one of our earliest forms of storytelling, like in Māori art or in Māori culture in general. Obviously, in the earlier times, we didn't have an alphabet or a written language. So, along with carving, weaving, tapestry, tamoko was probably one of our earliest forms of uh, literacy. So, you know, it's, a, it's another vessel where we stored stories, stored knowledge, and, you know, also passed on stories and passed on knowledge. So, yeah, traditionally, and, and, and still today, it's primarily about telling the story of the wearer, where they're from, who they are, where, they, where they're going, and future aspirations. I, I mean, the markings, are, the philosophies behind the markings are, are quite universal and quite boundless. So, yeah, wherever you want to take the story, you can take that, that person who wants to tell their story anywhere, really. Mm. And what is the the history within the country, um, of course, like historical tamoko compared to modern day tamoko, as you understand it? Yeah, I, I suppose like a lot of things now are driven by industry um, because of, the, you know, just the tattoo industry in general in New Zealand over the last, you know, 10 years, 15 years has, has really taken off and even on the global scene tattooing is probably more acceptable so a lot of the stuff that sort of happens today in, in the moko world has sort of been driven partly by um, the industry um, but I suppose it's up to artists like myself to sort of maintain the traditional side of it which is the storytelling ultimately so being able to read markings and, and then give appropriate markings to the right person um, is probably a big part of it so yeah, like part of it is driven by industry, but uh, we still do have senior artists or older artists like myself that still have have mastered the form, I suppose, and, and still are strong storytellers. Yeah. So, so how do you determine which is the right story to tell for the client? Well, it's basically that part of the, I suppose, that part of the process is led by a client. So. Yeah, it's like just being able to, I suppose, know the various forms and various shapes that actually tell that person's story. So that part of it, we're guided by the people um, that are telling the story. And then as the artist, you're sort of just um, going through your memory bank, I suppose, of all the different patterns, you know, and choosing the appropriate one for that person to wear. Did you? Who did you learn from originally? How do you have your storytelling ability? I sort of had various teachers along the way. I was lucky enough to have an uh, uncle who was a master carver, and then also ra- raised by my my grandmothers. One was a you know was a kai karanga caller. The other one was a healer. And so yeah, all over the place really. Like 
I wouldn't say I've had one teacher along the way. I haven't really had any formal training. Um, I sort of just stumbled across Tāmoko, really, just being a mischief teenager, really, and, <laughs> and um, yeah, and just having a love of art. But then, yeah, like, I'd, I'd, I'd say my teachers were like my grandmothers. They taught me the culture and the traditions and the language. And then, yeah, lucky enough to have an uncle and other people in my family were artists as well. So, so I, I, I'd say I'll probably have, I've had a collective of teachers and, yeah, and like always looking, obviously, to learn more. And just because a lot of the knowledge behind Moko was um, uh, suppressed and, and hidden for a long time to the point where a lot of it was actually lost. So even in the last 20, 25 years, artists have had to, if you like, re... Uh, sort of recreate if you like or unearth pieces of knowledge about moko that we can sort of bring into a modern time and modern context so it's a constant research um, and constantly looking for people that you know may may hold pieces of the puzzle because I mean a lot of families out there do just hold the pieces of the puzzle to their own traditions within their own family around tattooing just because you know, they may have had grandmothers that were the last wearers of the facial marking and stuff like that. They may have handed on stories about the day that they were tattooed and how they went about it. So, yeah, teach, the, the, the teaching side of it is, yeah, it's quite, yeah, it's quite a broad range of teachers that I've had along the way. Yeah. Do you do, you do many facial mokos at the moment? Yeah, yeah. So when I leave here next week, I've got to fly to the far north and I've got three ladies up there that will be done um, and probably about four facial, uh, male full facial tattoos will be started as well Okay, what's so the it's becoming more, more Sorry. Yeah, 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 more, um, yeah So more people are looking at the possibility of wearing facial markings now supposedly than 10 years ago sort of thing I did my first facial tattoo about 17 years ago. Oh wow Yeah, and I sort of lost count <laughs> now something you have done yeah what um what the facial markings in particular um what will determine someone getting you know a facial or lip or you know nostril moko compared to somewhere else on the body well i think it's like a journey of self-discovery like you've got to be pretty courageous pretty brave you got to know who you are really to you know, take that step to tattoo your face, obviously, just mm. because of the other psychological ramifications that may come from, you know, people staring at you all the time, uh, you know, people judging you all the time, not being allowed to enter certain premises and stuff like that. So I always say to people that come to me seeking the markers that, uh, you know, preparing yourself psycho psychologically and spiritually is a real big, you know, part of the journey and uh, being able to prepare yourself for, for what lies ahead uh, is a big part. Like in traditional times, they, they didn't have the anxieties of getting moko like we have today. You know, like, and it was a birthright in times of old, whereas now people, you know, have this old adage that you've got to go around and ask people whether or not you're worthy or you're allowed to, whereas a traditional time, everyone was going to get one at one point in mm, their life. Yeah. There wasn't those anxieties about wearing it, whereas today in the modern time, that's one of the biggest anxieties for people is acceptance, really, by the rest of society. Yeah. So you've got to be strong enough to hold yourself, um, yeah, to know that you have a, 
place in society and then it's not about acceptance it's about being strong enough to stand and hold your place in society um how do clients tend to prepare themselves spiritually oh uh, a lot of it's like returning home mm-hmm. um returning to people and places that are special to them and yeah just re- really moving your oh, i mean there's a myriad of ways that people do it um yeah, but it's just about moving yourself really into a space where you just feel com- com- completely comfortable with yourself and who you are and what you're doing, really. Oh yeah, cool. Um, could you explain how the process uh, differs from traditional tattooing? Sorry, I just missed that last one. <laughs> no worries. Could you explain how the process differs from traditional tattooing as we know it today? Um. I'd say, like, if I talk about my own process, not a lot of has changed. It's probably only equipment okay. that's changed. But it's interesting, like, people think that maybe someone doing it with a, with a chisel has more spiritual value than someone doing it with a machine, which sort of still, um, yeah, it still, it still puzzles me, that sort of thing. <laughs> you know, like, obviously, we've had to move with times. Yeah. Um, but... The, the whole spiritual aspect to it shouldn't change anyway because it comes down to the person getting, receiving, and then the person that's applying it. So I think that if the person that's applying it has covered all bases in terms of spiritual, uh, in terms of the spirituality of the process, in terms of karakia and uh, rituals where we dispose of, of, of the of the wipes that you're wiped with and anything that touches your blood and all those sorts of things like we still reinstate all those old traditions so yeah the only thing that's really changed is the equipment from from my process anyway and, and the people that i teach like we still do karakia we still have burning ceremonies and and all that sort of stuff here so um, yeah it's, it's sort of like environment and tools have, have changed traditionally maori tattooist or maori tohunga uh, we're quite transient people and they traveled a lot uh, through tribes and tribes would erect houses where they could work and then when they left they often burnt those houses and all that sort of stuff whereas today a lot of people have studios or home studios where they work out of and obviously with electricity we're no longer tapping tapping patterns and we're um, applying with a modern day machine and do you get to travel quite a lot um, to apply these? Yeah, yeah, well, I, yeah, I used to feel getting a bit old now, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, I, I, yeah, I am a yeah, traveller, though. I do travel extensively globally and internationally and nationally to do to do moko. Um, yeah, and I've yeah, taught a few younger guys now that travel both nationally and internationally as well. But, yeah, like I'm saying, you sort of, yeah, yeah, and there's no place like home sort of thing, eh? so yeah, <laughs> I, I do a lot more national stuff than international stuff. Oh yeah, where have you been internationally? Oh, everywhere. Wow. <laughs> yeah, pretty much everywhere, pretty much all the major continents. Oh my goodness, uh, and all, are, are these people of Māori descent that are that are asking you to come to other countries? or? Yeah, that's how it sort of works, like. Yeah, friends and family that have left New Zealand and live in other countries usually will ask you or, or they'll get a you know a list of maybe 10, 20 people ready and then they'll you know ask you to come <laughs> over and do the work. 
So, yeah, I sort of got people like that plotted all over the world that will contact me on a yearly basis, basis sort of checking out when I can get over there. Wow. Um, what's your opinion on tattooing um, kiratuhi in comparison to moko? Yeah, well, even that's like, like traditionally, like, yeah, like, every, it's all, as far as I'm concerned, it's all moko. Yeah, like even kiritihi, yeah, I, I believe was just something that was brought up maybe in the 90s just to justify European, Asian people wanting to get moko. Mm-hmm. I think it was something that was created to help people understand why European people would like to get it, but I mean, the early settlers, whalers, right back in the 1800s were getting moko tattoos, so yeah, I, I don't really, it doesn't really, yeah, uh, my opinion on it is that the marking was universal, it was given to Māori people to use as a modality of health for all people really, not just our own kind. And like my grandmother once said to me, I'm I was given a gift, and gifts were made to be given away, so... So you don't see them as separate, it's the same to you? Nah, well, I, yeah, I don't change the process or modify it at all. If, uh, what I do find, though, is that sometimes tourists or Europeans do struggle with the whole fact that um, you're not going to pick one off the wall. Mm. I may, yeah, I may not draw it for you so you can view it and change it and stuff like that, is that you've got to actually trust me and that there's got to be some sort of connection... Um, you know, in terms of that, in terms of our spirit connecting, so they just trust me to let me do what I know what to do, sort of thing. Yep. But I do notice that, yeah, when I do travel overseas, they'll often say, Oh, can you draw it for me first? Or, you know, uh, do you have photos that I can choose from? And then I've got to explain to them that every single one's unique because every person is unique, obviously. And, and sometimes, you know, I'll just say to them, Oh, well, maybe I'm not the person to do it for you sort of thing, you know? Yeah. So sometimes you do have to say no. But yeah, I don't really see a difference in it because I don't really change the way I do them just because they're Chinese or Brazilian or, you know, any, any different nationality. Okay. Um, do you work with any women tamoko artists at the moment? Oh, at the moment I'm just helping two women down here learn oh, cool. how to do tattooing and yeah, just because I was heading up north, there's a strong woman uh, tattooist up north. So I, I, I was just been talking to her over the last week, just sort of making sure it's all right for me to go into her region and tattoo and hope that there's no, you know, sort of ambiguity sort of between artists by people crossing borders. So, yeah, the last week I've been speaking to one of them extensively, actually. But, yeah, so... But I... In terms of working with them on a daily basis, I'm still encouraging like young girls where I live back in my town to get into it. Because I've always, you know, wanted to teach women, and it's actually the first uh, woman artist I've sort of had looking at an apprenticeship down here, actually, in, in the last year. Fantastic! Is that something you're encouraging as well? Oh, definitely, definitely. Cool, that's yes, amazing. I think um, I think there's probably a huge gap where a lot of women would want to take on muko, but I think just because, you know, some of their stories and that might be a bit too private to share with a male, and I think a lot of them don't get tattoos just because there's not a female presence or female artist that can do that for them. Mm. 
Yeah. And what has working, I mean, you've been working in the tamoko industry for 20 years now. What have you learned? What is the number one takeaway thing that you've learned from 20 years in the business? Um, to not stop telling stories is mm. probably the big one. Is that I'm more of a storyteller than an artist. I think my artistry is storytelling more so than tattooing. I think tattooing is just the medium that I've chosen to be a storyteller, but... Yeah, I think that's the big one for me is that being able to tell people's stories so they're proud of when they work, when they wear they wear the mark and proud enough that they'll walk out and they'll tell their stories and share their stories with people. So I think yeah, that's a big part of it. Like for a long time, like people, it became a real aesthetic pleasing. Mm. Art, where I think some of the mana of the marks were lost solely because we were mass producing stuff that looked good. So, yeah, my big one is just about the storytelling, I suppose, that I've learned. And it's not to forget that stuff and to keep on telling people's stories to the best of my ability. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. And I hope that this weekend isn't too hectic for you. I hope you can enjoy being in Dunedin for a while as well. Um, and you're speaking tomorrow at the DPAG, is that correct? Yeah, cool. yeah. So between the hours of three and four, you can catch Stu giving a lecture at the DPAG about Tamoko. Thank you so much, Stu. Have a great day. Cheers, you too. Thank you. Thank you. So make sure you head on over to the DPAG tomorrow where you can hear much more. Of course, um, we only have a small amount of time to talk about Tamoko on the show, but um, if you want to hear for a whole hour, Stu talk about the process in much more detail than he has with me today make sure that you head on over at 3pm tomorrow of course he doesn't live here, he's not from here so that is the perfect time to go and hear what he has to say because he won't be around for long